What's beneath the surface of true crime? Uncover brings you there with premium investigations that demand justice. Each season delves into a distinct case, from the inner workings of a cult to the disturbing legacy of residential schools. Promising new content year-round, Uncover will take you on a journey through explosive revelations with hosts dedicated to revealing the truth. Uncover, the best in true crime. Find it on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. All I do know is that nobody was ever charged. Alberta didn't just go missing. She didn't just go missing, and she didn't just walk away. She knew the person, she trusted the person. You still feel like people are afraid? Probably, you know, it's been really hard because some of our immediate family members were a person of interest and suspects in uh, being involved with Alberta that night. Were you afraid to go to the police? Yeah, I just had to be quiet. And I was like, oh my God, what have I done here? We really just want to get your side of the story. We're doing the story about Alberta and we really want to hear from you about her last night. Can you tell us anything about it? Was she at your house? I'm Connie Walker, and this is Missing and Murdered, Who Killed Alberta Williams, a podcast and CBC News investigation. The story started with an email from a police officer about Alberta Williams' murder. But over the past six episodes, it's become about much more. Besides the incredible tip, there was something else that interested me about this story. Something intriguing, because it runs counter to the narrative we often hear when reporting on cases of other missing or murdered Indigenous women or girls. It's about a police officer who actually cares. That may sound a bit harsh, but if you know anything about this issue, you've heard about police indifference, or sometimes far worse. When Amber Tuckerow went missing in 2010, Yo, where are we going? Her mother, no, Tutsi, filed a missing persons report with RCMP. She says police didn't respond with care or concern, they dismissed her. They didn't do their job. They didn't care. Even when I reported her missing, they asked me if she had went missing before, and, oh, she's probably out partying, and she'll she'll come home, she'll call. That's what they told me, but I said I still won't report her missing. And um, then I call every day. I call all the time to the police, and if they didn't answer, I'd leave a voicemail. Then I must... When days and weeks passed and Tutsi persisted, she says RCMP still didn't investigate. They even gave an interview to a local paper, denying that Amber was missing, saying she had been spotted in Edmonton. Amber's remains were found a few years later, in a field outside of the city, and police released the audio from her last phone call, recorded the day before her mother reported her missing. Are you kidding me? You better not be taking me anywhere. I don't want to go. I want to go into the city. Shame. 
After Tutsi filed a formal complaint in 2014, RCMP admitted her case was initially mishandled and apologized to her family. Trish Carpenter was only 14 when she was found dead. He cries for no reason. He doesn't want his body. Her body lodged headfirst into a small opening at a construction site in downtown Toronto. Police told her mother, Joyce Carpenter, that she might have been reaching for change at the bottom of a six-foot hole. I couldn't believe it. I said, no. Something happened to her. They said it was asphyxiation from her being upside down in that hole for so long. But her face was black and blue. Her nose was twisted, big bruise marks on her face. It's almost like somebody took a two-by-four to her. Police said no foul play was suspected in Trisha's death. But Joyce never believed that. She believes racism hampered their investigation. Something's going on. Like, why are they writing us all up? Why are they writing our kids up? They all had parents. My girl had a son. She had brothers, grandparents, mom, dad. Same with these other three girls. And they just wrote them off like they were, you know, pieces of garbage in my books. And they're not. They're children. They're somebody's children. They're somebody's kids, you know. An inquest later found Trisha's death to be suspicious. The justice system didn't work for us. Didn't work for us at all. In all of our reporting on missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, that has been the one constant from families, that police didn't take their loved ones' disappearance seriously or properly investigate their deaths. Bernadette Smith's sister, Claudette Osborne, went missing from Winnipeg in 2008. When they did release her picture, it was her her mugshot, the picture that they took at the police station when she was charged with a crime. So when that was released, you know, to the media, it was very difficult for our family because you were there were comments like, "Oh well, obviously that's a mugshot of her. She got what she deserved." And sometimes the allegations are even worse: that police have abused Indigenous women. Any Indigenous woman in Canada will tell you that you use caution around certain towns, certain police forces. In Val d'Or, a remote community in northern Quebec, 37 complaints by mostly First Nations women were made against police. They revealed to us the rapes, the abuses they say they suffered, and the difficulties to file complaints. The women alleged police physically and sexually abused them. Women in northern BC made similar allegations against police that were documented in a report by Human Rights Watch. Those who take us away, that's a literal translation of the word for police in the carrier native language, and it's the title of a report released today that suggests... Researcher Megan Rode heard disturbing allegations of police abuse, including of rape and sexual assault. The threat of domestic and random violence on one side and mistreatment by RCMP officers on the other leaves Indigenous women in a constant state of insecurity. Where can they turn for help when the police are known to be unresponsive and in some cases abusive? 
After an investigation into those 37 allegations against police in Quebec, two police officers were charged, one with sexual assault and another with sexual assault and armed assault. But neither was in Valdor. Women in that community say they were angry, disappointed, and disillusioned with the lack of charges. And despite many families' wishes, the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls is not going to focus on police investigations. The head of the RCMP has admitted there are racists in the force and that mistakes have been made in the past. He has vowed to make changes. I understand that there are racists in my police force. Uh, I don't want them to be in my police force. We can do better, and ladies and gentlemen, we will do better. Gary has always been so open and candid with us. So I asked him, what was the relationship like between Indigenous people and police back in 1989? I'd be the first to say, I mean, there wasn't a lot of trust or goodwill between the police officers and the Native uh, community. I mean, there really wasn't. It was so bad uh, back in 1989, like it was like almost uh, kind of them against us mentality, if you will. Gary maintains that Alberta's case was thoroughly investigated. Her race didn't matter in his eyes. And it's hard to doubt that. He seems to care a lot about Alberta and her unsolved murder. Why else would he send that email? And why else would he speak out after all these years? But when we got back to Toronto and took a closer look at Gary's notebooks, we couldn't help but wonder if some things had been overlooked. The first thing we did before diving into the notebooks was to start looking into DNA labs. Even though we had no idea how or even if we could use it, we were anxious to see if we could get Ken's DNA profile from the cigarette butt we scooped up. When Marnie grabbed Ken's cigarette butt, she didn't just pick it up with her fingers. She used the little envelope that came with her hotel keycard. It turns out that split-second impulse was spot on, because if she had touched the cigarette butt with her fingers, she could have contaminated the sample. Even so, there were hurdles. First, neither of us had ever done anything like this before. Would our bosses give us the okay to test the cigarette for DNA? Second, would we be able to get a sample from it? Even though we hadn't touched it, there was still a chance we wouldn't be able to get a profile from the cigarette butt. Third, what could we do with it, even if we got it? We had no idea if the RCMP had any DNA from Alberta's case. It was 1989 and Gary told us he hadn't even heard of DNA back then. We called Gary to fill him in about what we had found out in Prince Rupert, but also to get his insider's opinion. He says that in recent years, police have come and asked for his DNA, but he's refused to give it to them. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. I guess, you know, you got to keep your mind open, you know, again, anything is possible, but I, I would also think that, you know, with the relationship that Alberta had with Claudia, you know, I think Alberta would have said something that night to her. I, I just, I, I guess I would find it hard to believe that Alberta would just go to terrorists for whatever reason, the day she's supposed to be flying back to Vancouver. Yeah, you know, I guess, oh boy, you know, anything's possible. I, geez, I just, 
Like, why would he refuse to give his DNA? I could understand Gary's skepticism. He had invested a lot of time looking into Alberta's case, and he never heard of her showing up in Terrace on the Saturday with two guys in a black truck. Amanda and Ed say Alberta was with Jack and Ken. Jack wouldn't talk to us, and Ken said it didn't happen. But why would RCMP be asking for DNA? Had they gone back and tested any evidence for DNA in Alberta's murder? Could Gary help us find out? But we're wondering, how can we find out if the RCMP also has a profile, or or how can we find out if they don't have a profile? Yeah, that would be the million-dollar question. I mean, like, right now, I've got no idea where the case even is. Yeah. Like, in terms of... Geez, that's, a, that's a tough question. I mean, it would make common sense. I mean, even going put my police hat back on, you wouldn't ask somebody for a DNA profile if you don't have something to compare it to. I mean, it would, like, be going to a, a crime scene where you don't find any fingerprints, but you go and ask somebody, hey, can I, can I get your fingerprints? I mean, it would be a moot point. So the fact that they've asked him for DNA would lead me to believe that they probably do have a profile. But Gary is retired now, and it's been decades since he left Prince Rupert and had access to Alberta's police file. Really, we have no idea why investigators asked for Ken's DNA. But we do know that the RCMP have requested DNA samples from other cab drivers in Prince George, British Columbia, while investigating other cases on the Highway of Tears. And even Ken speculated that might be why they asked him. Why do you think the police wanted your DNA? Well, because of all the uh, murders on the highway. But why yours as opposed to... Well, it could have been randomly anybody. So I don't know. And I was also skeptical. RCMP have been under a lot of pressure to solve some of the murders and disappearances on the Highway of Tears. In 2005, they set up a special task force to look into those cases, called EPANA. But in 11 years, the task force has only made one arrest, in one case, and no one's been convicted yet. Recently, Wayne Clary, the head of EPANA, said that if they're going to solve any more cases, they need people to speak up. We've turned over every stone we can to a large degree. We're still carrying on. But crimes of this nature, it's, it's, it's the people out there in the public that are going to help us to lead us where we need to go. If they don't have a DNA profile, do you still think it's a solvable case? I mean, Oh, obviously. absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Is it possible then, or plausible, that... If, if from those swabs that were taken from Alberta, that there could be some viable DNA there, but that the swabs just have never even been, been checked to see if there is a profile they can get after all these years? It's it's possible. Maybe they've never been sent down. Like, I know they were sent down at the time, but again, that was uh, pre-DNA. Again, if this guy is correct and the police did ask him for his DNA, that would lead me to think, well, they must have something. But on the other hand, though, I, I'm a little, I would question that because... If they did have a DNA profile, somebody would be in jail, I guess is what I'm saying. We got permission to send Ken's cigarette butt for analysis. And while we waited to see if we could get a profile from it, we took a step back. 
We started this story with a goal of trying to talk to everyone that Claudia had said she saw at the bar that night with Alberta. Carol Russell, Phoebe McLean, Gordon McLean, Jack Little, Alphonse Little, and Kevin Kitchen. We had never been able to reach Alphonse or Carol Russell. As we were leaving Ken's house, he suggested that we talk to Carol. He said, you know, I had to bring her name up now, but she was in out that night and everything. We'd tried Carol many times before, but she'd never answered her phone. And she didn't answer her door either. We knocked on it when we were in Prince Rupert. We even went to her work to see if we could catch her on a break, but we didn't have any luck. Back in the office in Toronto, we decided to try to call her at work. And this time, she answered. Housekeeping. Hi, is this Carol? Yes. Hi, Carol. Connie Walker, I'm a reporter for CBC. I'm doing a story about Alberta Williams, and I've been trying really hard to get in touch with you. Oh, okay. Sorry to bother you at work. We've just tried uh, tried you at home a couple of times. A reminder, Carol was Alberta's cousin, and a few people told us they were also close friends. Claudia told us she saw Carol at the bar that night, and Doug told us he saw her at Jack's party after the bar. You were, you were friends with Alberta, right? You guys were, were close? Uh, just on um, hanging out basis. So can you tell me about the last time you saw Alberta and, and what the scene was like? Uh, it was at Popeye's, and that's where we parted. She had her group of friends to go with, and I went with my friends. But you guys were sitting at the same table at Popeye's? That night, yes. Were you at the party at Jack's house on that Friday night? No, no. We parted at Popeye's. Okay, so you, so you didn't go back to Jack's because we we spoke to someone who thought he saw you at the party there that night. No, no, no. I went to Lorraine Johnson's place. Did you hear about who was at that party at Jack's house? All that I know of it was Jack and another friend of his, whom I don't know. Another friend of his? Yes, it's according to what uh, Ken Collinson, I believe that's his name. Hmm. What did Ken tell you? He told me that he was just Alberta and Jack and some other person that was there when he was driving them. When did Ken say that he was driving with Alberta and Jack? Many years ago. But Ken said he was there that night? No, no, he was just driving. So are you and Ken friends? Through her um, Alberta's sister, that's how I met him. Kathy. I'm going to stop here just to remind you. Alberta's cousin Amanda and her husband Ed told us they saw Alberta with her uncle, Jack Little, and a white guy they thought was Ken Collinson in a black truck in Terrace the day after she was supposed to have disappeared. When we talked to Ken, he said it wasn't him. He said he had never driven anywhere with Jack and Alberta, ever. I'm com- I'm a bit confused. Um, where where did he drive them? I have no idea. I'm just I was just told. I'm not I'm not saying that that's how it really happened. No, I understand. You weren't there. But what did do, can you do? You remember what Ken told you about what he, what happened? Just that the, he was driving. He didn't say much more about that. 
just a few people. And he didn't know Jack's other friend that was also there? No, he didn't mention the name. Was it the Friday that he drove them back to Jack's house, or was it the Saturday that he drove them to Terrace? He didn't say what day. He just told me what he did. What was the context of that conversation? Why did he mention that he drove Alberta and Jack? Uh, He was just trying to say that he wasn't really involved with what had happened. Did you ask him what happened? No, no. It was, uh, I'm not allowed, with the constable that came to pick me up to talk at the RCMP station. He told me not to discuss anything with anybody. Hmm. Just to them. When did you speak to that constable? It was a couple of years ago. He's from Prince George. Do you remember his name? No, I don't. So he also asked you about Ken Collinson and what Ken Collinson told you? He didn't mention names. He's not allowed to. He just wanted to talk to me. So have you guys stayed in touch all of these years? No, no. He, he's got his family to, to concentrate on, and I have my own. When did, when did you and Ken talk about him driving Jack in Alberta? I can't really say how many years that was. It was just, I just, like I mentioned to the constable, if I could, I would tell you when, but I can't really say. Do you remember if it was right after Alberta went missing and was found, was found, or do you, was it years after that even? No, he just told me that he drove. He didn't say which day he drove. Why were you guys talking about that? Because he... I don't know. I can't really say. It was just brought up in a conversation. Had you heard rumors that that Ken was there that night as well? No, I haven't. Do you know if Ken and Jack were friends? No, I don't. I don't really know that family that well when they were together. It seems strange that Ken had suggested we talk to Carol... And yet she seemed hesitant to tell us what she'd heard about Ken driving Jack and Alberta. And when's the last time you talked to Ken? Oh, I just, we don't talk. We just give a quick wave when he's driving the cab and uh, I'm walking down the street and then we just give a quick wave and that's about it. Did you talk to him after we were in town? Actually, he was the one that notified me about you trying to get a hold of me. That was it. Oh, what did he say? He said that uh, there's a lady from the radio. There's two ladies that interviewed me, and um, they are trying to get a hold of you. I said, oh. I asked what it was about, and he told me about Alberta. Yeah, I mean, we really are just trying to find out more information about Alberta, and we heard from some of Alberta's relatives that... She was seen after the party, that they saw her the next day driving with Jack and with Ken in Terrace on the Saturday. Oh. Oh, my gosh. I don't know about that. I haven't seen Alberta at all after our night out. We parted at the bar and... But when we talked to Ken, he he said he wouldn't... He, he didn't do that. He didn't drive with Jack... And Alberta. But now you're telling me that he told you that he did drive Jack in Alberta. I can't really say. I, it's, it's just confusing. He wasn't really clear because we weren't allowed to really discuss it amongst each other. 
because the constable said that um, what we discuss with the people that are involved in the investigation might say something and the other person might follow what he said and so so. So that is why I was saying that we're not allowed to discuss it until we get confirmation from the constable. Do you have information that you're you're not sharing with me about what might have happened? No, no, oh my gosh, no. I have nothing to hide. I am truthful, and I would never hold anything back. Carol got off the phone. She said she needed to check with the RCMP to see if she could tell us any more. But we never heard back from her. We had tracked down as many people as we could find who were with Alberta that night. We were waiting to hear back from the lab about Ken's DNA, and we were running out of options. We sat down with Gary's notebooks. We wanted to see if there was anyone else we might be able to find who would have more information. One of the first entries that caught our attention was from September 11, 1989. 629 McKay, no phone. Eva of Kit Juan Cool said that the first weekend that she went missing, she seen Alberta crying and leaving with some guy. To contact Eva, go through Hazelton, Andy Quack, Special Constable. Eva lives with Leonard March 7th. I couldn't find Eva on Facebook, but eventually I found a number for her and left a message. I wasn't sure if I had the right person until she called me back. Hi, this is Eva. You called me in regard to Alberta Williams. Just returning the call. Thank you. Bye. We connected a few weeks later. Did you know Alberta at all before that night? Yeah, she's from the same village here. Is that in, in Gitnia? Yeah. What do you remember about Alberta? She was very nice, always smiling. I've never seen her without a smile. I heard she was also a little bit shy. Yeah, yeah. But when you get to know her, she's really, she was really awesome. And did you, do you remember seeing Alberta that night? Yes, I did. She was sitting at the same table. Do you remember who she was sitting with that night? I didn't actually see, but I know who was waiting for her. At that time, the bar was closing. Who was waiting for her? Her, her auntie's husband named Jack Little. He was the last person I saw her with. Where was that? Was that inside the bar or was that outside? Right inside the bar, yeah. But I didn't see who she got in her vehicle with. She was crying. She was actually crying before while everybody was leaving and nobody even seemed to ask her what was going on. I just asked what or why she was crying and, and family didn't know. That was the last time we saw her. Did you notice who she was talking to before she cried? or who she, she was just sitting there crying on the table where people were. She was almost practically alone, but her uncle was standing behind her, waiting for her, like holding her chair in the back. It just never left me. Every time I see Jack myself, I, I remember it. I remember what I saw. I had an eerie feeling, but I didn't know if he was 
trying to be uh, an uncle to help her out or what, but I, I was just wondering why she was crying. Nobody told me nothing, so I don't really know. And did you hear anything about a party happening after the bar? No, I don't think so. But I just heard she got into a, a vehicle with uh, somebody, a black pickup. But I didn't see the vehicle myself either. Oh, so you heard she she got into a black truck? Yeah, I, yeah. Do you remember where you heard that? Uh, just after... We realized that and heard that she disappeared. That's when I heard about it, and I vaguely remembered that pickup too. But you've always remembered that seeing Alberta that night. Yeah. Why do you think it stuck with you? Uh, it's kind of weird that Jack was waiting for her. That's what I was. I asked him why. Why is Jack waiting for Alberta, and why is she crying? I don't know. Nobody answered me. I came to the Navajo Nation looking for answers after an Indigenous elder vanished in the dead of night. But I soon found something else. A tangled web of violence and retaliation. It's survival out there. That's what it is. It's about survival. Those guys know something. I just think they're afraid to say it. People know you can get away with murder out there. I'm Connie Walker. Listen to Stolen, Trouble in Sweetwater on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Flipping through Gary's notebooks was fascinating and frustrating. Some of the entries were just names and phone numbers with no notes at all, while others were more detailed, with just enough information to make you intrigued, but without a full name or a number, like this one. 1450 hours. Nicholson, or Nickelson, I'm not really sure how that's pronounced. Witness worked painting at Taiyi. Native girl, possibly wearing glasses. Male subject, looked like the fishing type. Feels it was around 23.30 hours Monday night. Witnessing the photo in the paper on 890831. Male had shoulder length, blonde, dirty hair, dressed in dark clothing. Witness had slowed down quite a bit to have a look, and he thought it was quite late for the young girl to be out. Someone may have seen Alberta on Monday near the Taiyi. A reminder that the Taiyi is where Alberta's body was eventually found. I'd love to talk to this man, but we couldn't even decipher his name. Even Gary had trouble reading his writing. Around September 1st, 1989, there were three entries about someone called Vera Derrick. The first one just had her name and address. Here's Gary reading the next two. Starting on page one, 890902, 0900 hours. Vera Derrick, seen on Friday and then again on Saturday in a vehicle, positive that it was Saturday. 1010 hours, Vera Derrick, statement taken by Ross. Positive that it was Saturday. That stood out for me right away because police believe that Alberta died that Friday night. 
and they never investigated the scenario that she was still alive on Saturday. We needed to find Vera Derrick and ask her if she was certain that she saw Alberta on Saturday and what kind of vehicle she saw her in. The number for Vera in Gary's notebook was out of service. Nothing came up in 411, and there were no Vera Derricks on Facebook. But there were a lot of other people with that last name who seemed to live in the area. So I just started messaging random people, asking, do you know Vera Derrick, who used to live in Prince Rupert? It wasn't long before someone said they knew who she was, but that Vera didn't live in Prince Rupert anymore. She lived in Gittenyau. I got her number and called her right away and left a message, and I kept calling back until she finally answered. Is Vera there? Yes, speaking. Oh, hi, Vera. I left you a message, I think, yesterday or the day before. This is going yes. to seem really weird because I'm sure that it's been many years since you've even thought about this. But I'm working on a story about Alberta Williams. Do you remember Alberta Williams? Yes, I do. Did you know her personally? Or well, why do you remember Alberta after all these years? Oh, can you call back later? I'm waiting for a ride right now. Oh, okay, sure. I can call you back. Okay, thanks so much. I'm, I'm We glad. called Vera back the next day. So yesterday when I talked to you, you said that you do remember Alberta Williams. Yes, I do. What do you remember about her? She's a very quiet person, and uh, she's very nice to everyone. Last time I saw her, she was in Prince Rupert, and uh, we made an appointment that she would come by, and I waited and waited for her to come by, but she didn't show up, so I went uptown, and I, I was looking around for her. But I saw her in a car. That was the last time I saw her. And she was motioning, uh, pointing at the back of the car. But uh, they just went by. I, They didn't stop. She just uh, looked at me. And I don't know why she was pointing in the back of the car when they went by. And then the next day, her parents came by and she said, did our daughter came by to see you yesterday? And I said, no, I saw her in town in the car, but she didn't stop by. So they picked me up. Let's look around town to see if we can find her. So we just drove all over town to look for her, but we didn't find her. That's terrible. Do you, do you remember when that was? Was it it was the was it the weekend that she went missing? Yes, that was the last time we saw her. She was missing the very next day. Do you remember what kind of vehicle she was in? She was in a older model uh black car. I don't know what to make of it. There was a young man that was driving. Can you describe the young man that, that she was with? Do you, did um, you know who it was? He had dark curly hair. Was he native? Um, I, no, didn't really look native. What did she seem like? Was she 
excited or did you seem upset? Looks like uh, motioning. Uh, I don't know what she was motioning at when she saw me. And then she waved and then they went by. She was trying to tell me something, but I didn't know what it was. And this was in Prince Rupert? Yes. Are you sure that it was a black car? Yes, it was an old model uh, kind of vehicle, a black one. How many doors did it have? Two doors, four doors? It wasn't four. Four doors. Four doors, yes. It wasn't a truck? No, it was a car. Vera was certain it was a car that she saw Alberta in. But unlike the entry in Gary's notebooks, Vera was less certain about which day it was. Do you remember if you saw her on the Friday or the Saturday? I think it was on a Friday because her her parents came by and asked me if she saw up after she called me. And I told them no. Were her parents worried about her at that point? Yes, they asked me to come with them. Let's look around town. And so we just, we drove around town. We couldn't find her. That must have been really awful. Yes. Then Vera told us something shocking. Something we hadn't heard before. Something that wasn't in Gary's notebooks. Somebody called me and said, you won't be able to find her in town. She's been dumped off close to the tower outside of town. That's where to find her. Who told you that 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 she had been? I I couldn't tell tell who the, vo- the voice was. So you got a phone call from someone who you don't. Yes, I did. You don't know who that person is. No, I didn't. I didn't ask. Who do you think it was? I I couldn't tell. I, I, I never heard that voice before on the phone. It was a lady. Did you ask the woman on the phone who she was or how she knew that? Uh, she said she was at the party that time, but she didn't tell me who she was. And all she said was, if you... Looking around town for her, you'll never find her here. Because I knew that's where they dumped her. So this woman called you, and, and yes. what did she say? She said, uh, somebody did her in and uh, took her there, so you wouldn't find her in town. But you can tell them where to find her, so I did. Did you? Uh, her parents got in touch with some of their relatives, and they all went down there, and they couldn't find her. Did they go to the Taiyi? Is that where she said it, it, she was she was dumped? Yes. When did you get this phone call? That was after we looked around town. I think it was two days after. I guess somebody saw us looking around. From one place to another. We even went to in the bar looking around and then stores. And then we drove around all over. She said 
to me. I heard you and her parents. You mentioned her, her parents' name, and and she said to me, I don't think you'll ever find her in town because she was stumped uh, where the towers are outside of Prince Rupert, she said. She told me to get to church party and see if they can find her where, where they told us where she was stumped. And uh, I told I told her mom and dad, and then they got their relatives to go and look around there, but they couldn't find her at the time. But that's where they found her after the, the hiker spotted her beside one of the roads that's going up that way. What was your reaction getting that kind of a phone call? I was really shocked. And then I phoned her mom right away, so they got some church party going from her relatives, but they couldn't find her. And she told me to go and wait around town. She said, I'll, I'll tell you more what happened to her. And where did this woman tell you to meet her in town? Down where the, uh, one of the restaurants on the west side. And I was looking around, waited there for a long time, and she didn't show up. Did you ever speak to the police and and tell them what you saw? Yes. I phoned. I told them everything that happened, but they didn't even listen to me. Vera said she heard of a party at Jack Little's house that weekend, and that the woman on the phone told her she was at a party, but refused to tell her much more. I asked this person, and uh, she said, no, I can't tell you my name. Um, I might get myself into trouble, she said. Did she seem scared? Yeah, she's kind of scared because she knew what happened to Alberta. So when the police came to your house, you told them about seeing her in the car, but did you also... Yes, yes, I did. And did you tell them about getting the phone call again? Yes. I told him everything that happened. Wow. Wow. I just, I can't imagine what it was like getting that phone call. Yeah, terrible. I couldn't sleep for a long time, and I kept on breaking down. Why do you think the woman called you? She said she heard that we were looking around for Alberta. So do you think this woman was a friend of Alberta's? I think so. I believe so. I don't know if um, the police got it on record because I, I knew I phoned them about it, the call I, I received. Do you remember who you spoke with by any chance? Was it someone named Gary Kerr or Rick Ross? No, I, I don't remember who I spoke to, but I somebody took the call, but I don't think the, I don't think they took it seriously that time. But exactly where where I was told she was stopped, where the hiker found her later on. If what Vera said was true, then someone, a woman, knows something about Alberta's murder. But who was she? And why would she call Vera and not the police? And if Vera told the police about this mysterious caller, Did they investigate it? 
Episode 7 of Missing and Murdered Who Killed Alberta Williams will be continued in two days. In part two, we call Gary to see what he remembers about Vera Derrick. It was this, you know, this anonymous phone call, and she tried to, I guess, convince this woman to meet up with her, and they had agreed on a spot to meet, but but this woman never showed up. Does any of that sound familiar to you? And did police miss a crucial piece of evidence in Alberta's case? There was some blood on stuff around some of the pieces of clothing. There was bloody clothing? I think there was some blood on it. For more episodes, visit our website at cbc.ca slash whokilledalbertawilliams. You can also download the podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Missing and Murdered Who Killed Alberta Williams is written and hosted by me, Connie Walker. The producer is Marnie Luke, and the associate producer is Lori Ward. Technical production by Ashley Walters and Harold Dupuis. And Heather Evans is the senior producer of the CBC News Investigative Unit. For more CBC Original Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash originalpodcasts.